Hello, welcome along to Man in the Mirror. Hayden Williams here. I hope you're having a good week so far. Um, I certainly am. I was at a 50th birthday party for a friend at the weekend and uh, sort of reminded me that my 50th is imminent and is coming up next month. So I don't know how you feel about these things and obviously ageing and life experience is something that comes up in the podcast when it's um it's definitely something i'm considering a bit more at the moment you know how i feel and where i'm at but that said i you know i feel good about it i don't feel it's sort of cliche of i'm in some kind of existential crisis but uh, it's on my mind and it's coming up and uh, i'm looking forward to it anyway i hope you're good and um welcome along to the podcast man in the mirror is I hope you know by now, but if it's your first time listening, it's a podcast where I talk to a male guest or guests about their life and about work, and I have a look at their bathroom cabinets, and they reveal some of their favourite hero items, uh, things that they use in their morning and evening rituals that they can't do without. So it's a really nice insight into to products and how they use them, and um, I guess I think it tells us a bit more about the person as well. This week, my guest is John Malloy, who is one of the co-founders of Memo Paris and Hermetica. Now, Memo Paris is a French luxury fragrance house, and Hermetica is its younger brother, sister, um, that has sustainability at its heart. Uh, two fantastic brands you'll have seen in major department stores around the world. And of course, their own um, flagship store in Paris. I met John actually a few months ago at a launch for one of the Memo Paris fragrances called Sherwood. And he was such a brilliant speaker. Uh, he's an Irishman, great with stories, so engaging, so entertaining. And I thought I'd love to have him on the podcast. And fortunately, he agreed. So I think you're going to enjoy this. We, we met over a virtual Zoom type service so uh, we didn't get to meet in real life to do the podcast but uh, I really appreciate John's time Memo Paris if you you don't know it's all about travel but also probably more about the the journey you know not just about the destination so their fragrances cover all parts of the world fabulous fragrances really really beautiful and you know Sherwood is is a really good example of something they do, just a little twist, and it's not quite as you expect, but um, manages to give you something different. John works with his wife, Clara, who is the creative director of Memo Paris and Hermetica, and together they're quite a formidable team. So sit back, enjoy. It's John Malloy, the co-founder of Memo Paris, on Man in the Mirror podcast. Here we go. Welcome along to another episode of Man in the Mirror. It's Hayden Williams here. And this week, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by John Malloy, who is co-founder of Memo and Hermetica. Hi, John. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very, very much. Oh, look, thank you for doing this. And, and thank you for spending some time with me this morning. Um, where where do we find you in the world today? Where are you? Today, I'm actually sitting in the office, would you believe it or not, in a very sunny Geneva. So uh, it's quite unusual for Geneva to be sunny, but today we've got a lot of blue sky and it's a really good day. Is it? And so what took you, because you're Irish, as, as people might have detected from, from your accent, and your wife, Clara, who is your fellow co-founder and, and creative director of the brand, she's, she's Spanish, John. She is. She's a mix. She was born and reared in Paris um, to Spanish parents. So having a whole 
Spanish cultural upbringing, but yet being based in Paris. So she feels Parisian, I would say. Okay. Yet now you're, the memo office is based in Geneva. So how did that come about? Was that just happenstance? You know, I'd, I'd love to be able to tell you, Hayden, that we planned everything in our lives and everything, <laughs> everything was, you know, like in a strategy book. But um, yeah, yeah, to be, yeah. to be very go honest, that way, um, I guess. no, it doesn't. I was expatriated, believe it or not, from a, a French company where I was working to Geneva to run their, their Swiss subsidiary. And we were having our kids and everything else, and we decided to stay. Uh, we felt that it was a great place to live, a great place that we both enjoyed it, and it was neutral. So neutral from right. both both was either not being Paris or not being Ireland. It was sort of a neutral country um, where we really enjoyed, which we do very much enjoy today. <laughs> well, I'm sh- I'm sure it's a, a beautiful place to live, and I, I, I hadn't really thought of it like that before. The idea that, that when a, a couple are from different countries, actually, you know, you, you can either be sort of favouring one or the other, but actually, quite a quite an interesting move to um, to go to a neutral country altogether. Well, I think for us, it was really much um, a, a question of, um, we'd always kind of, when we got married and we decided, we said, always that, okay, let's say Paris would be our base. And then life took us here and we really enjoyed having it. And it's very easy to travel to yeah, of people. Course. We liked having that. And you've got the good side of that and the bad side. The good side is you've got a neutral base and you kind of restart and you build your life around that. The downside of that is you don't have that support family network, especially yeah. with young kids and things where you could, you know, pop off for a weekend for two and leave your kids with your parents or your their aunts or their uncles yeah. or their cousins, this sort of thing. That's the only thing about it, really. And otherwise, you make great friends and you start off. And, you know, we thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, It's yeah. been a very kind country to us. Oh, that's good. And it'd be great to find out a bit more, I suppose. I'm always intrigued, you know, with, with founders of you know, beauty, fragrance, grooming businesses, when, you know, I experienced Memo and Hermetica and, you know, these beautiful, fully formed brands that, and obviously Memo has been going for 15 years plus now. But if, if I rewind, did you have an interest in, in fragrance and beauty in this world from, from childhood in Ireland? What, what was the, what was the sort of route through into, into this world? Um, well, looking, looking back, I had sort of, you could say, rather a, a classic or traditional upbringing in the countryside and Tipperary in Ireland. Right. And it's the, a beautiful part of the, the world, isn't it? Ah, oh, thank you. Yeah, so, it's, it's a, so the horse, the horse mecca in Ireland, in a way, for horse breeding and everything else. And I was brought up in this environment. And I think it was, you know, very much in those days, very much a privileged environment. And my parents, my father was 100% Irish. My mum was born and raised in Kenya. Right. Okay. Um, so the half Irish, half English. And I think we had this mix of people always visiting us from a young age. From my father spent seven years in New Zealand. We had people from New Zealand, from Kenya, from England, from Ireland. We had family from Europe. So I think the beginning of this beauty or the beginning of looking out um, really comes from a curiosity from meeting other people and seeing other lifestyles and that part. And I think also there's an innate thing in people who are born on islands. If you're born on an island especially in Ireland, you know, as Ireland and back in those days, you you were always geared, we were all geared in our education system to learn European languages because when I was leaving university, you know, at that time, 80% of graduates were, were leaving, going to the UK, right. America, Europe. And so you had this sort of train in front of you 
which seemed to be very normal to learn languages, to go outside. And that's why I went to school in Germany when I was 16. I went to a boarding school there for a while. And I, I remember um, visiting the Königsallee and seeing, you know, Jill Sander, these brands for the first time when they're in their heyday, visiting these wonderful stores. And I think, you know, maybe my, my, my father's mother had, had been to university in Paris between the wars, had studied in Switzerland. And I think there was this sort of feeling of Paris and the house my sister was studying in Paris. And, and I think that with France, Paris, um, fashion, and then having been born and reared in the countryside where everything was made to last and made to be fixed, you know, having an old Land Rover that when everything got fixed, you know, you didn't yeah. just go buy new all the time, yeah, yeah. the leather goods, the saddles, everything. So I felt I always loved taking things apart and fixing them. And I think that's where my first real touch was with maybe craftsmanship and luxury. Mm. And that's what I liked about things that were made to last, being given a, a jacket that was made in a tailor's in London three generations ago. And, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you still got to take it apart. And so I think that was my first introduction to, to the finer things in a way in life. Um, and did you go through a sort of fashion route first, John? Did you get fashion into well, beauty or? Well, um, I, yes, I, that was the whole thing. I, I basically, I, I, after finishing school, I, I moved to Dublin to university and I, at the time, I planned to be a banker and moved to London. Did you? I, I, I focused on studying futures and options and I was going to go to milk round and I was meant to be working and earning fortunes in the city of London. That was, that was the game plan. Yeah. And what changed? In the last year of university, there's a wonderful professor who had a, a course, a major called Enterprise Development, where you had to do a real business plan and, yeah. and set up a business. And I'd been working in Brown Thomas um, to pay for my studies. Throughout, in, yeah. Yeah. It, it's this, it's the, you say the brother or the sister store to self, which is the same group. Yeah. And I've been working there in Dublin and every Saturday weekends, uh, whenever it was open on, on Thursdays to pay for my studies. So I've been immersed in this world, you could say, of beauty, fashion, and I really enjoyed it. Did you work in a certain department, John, or did you move around? Yeah, I, I, would you believe it? I worked in the most English department of all. It was the hunting, shooting, fishing department. It was called <laughs> <you>? Callahan's. <laughs> and, um, and I was selling everything from John Partridge jackets with Gore-Tex, yeah barbers and a- anything that Hermes ties and mm-hmm. and hats, the, the best hats from London and, you know, all the finer things for the, you could say, the country gentlemen or the yeah. country ladies and gentlemen. And did you enjoy that sort of retail? Did, were you, did, did you feel like you were a, a natural salesman or you know, did you enjoy the sort of interaction and the, and the connection of it? Well, I think that's where my childhood of having, you know, so many people, we were six children, um, right. two parents, eight, and we always had people staying at home. So I think we, we are born with a natural ability to, to chat, to, to meet, to greet. And I always felt from meeting, greeting. And then the third point I kind of add to that was to learn. I learned an awful lot of members and I still do. Yeah. And I think, yes, to answer your question, I adore selling. I adore being in stores and I've never stopped. Since the age of 18, I've never stopped being in department stores. And I probably visited all, of, well, not all, well, the majority of the world's department stores um, at a certain level today, so yeah. many years later. And um, so, so from from working in, in Dublin and, and working in the department store, you, you, and, and you say you, you were on your course and, and there was a slight sort of change of focus because you had to do this real life 
project about enterprise and what what happened with that and then i i set up a a with the help of a a very future forward businessman called Nigel Caladine um who was running the company John Partridge in England at the time who who ran that concession uh, yeah. um we we set up a brand called Callahan's Dublin 1796 which was the date when Callahan's that Callahan's was the Irish, you could say Hermes, was the Irish saddle maker at the time. Yeah. And this was a concession. And so he, he said to me, go for it. So I had my business idea and I went to him and said, look, and they said, go for it, do the plan. We'll help you with the business plan. Yeah. And then once I did the business plan and it went forward, he said, why don't you do it then? So he gave the great opportunity <laughs> to go ahead and do it. And then we set up this brand and lo and behold, at the age of 21, I was taking these clothes, this collection of clothing to Bergdorf Goodman in New York. Yeah. Um, oh visiting goodness. the best stores around the world and um, trying to, you know, have to train a department of menswear specialists at the age of 21 when you're bringing out this brand. And it was a wonderful experience. And I just dived in the deep end. I loved what I did. I was very lucky to have sort of, you could say, the piggyback development, having an existing brand at the time, John Partridge, that had the manufacturing capabilities. They had a wonderful factory with 200 wonderful seamstresses and based in, in Staffordshire. Right. And, and that was going back and seeing the factory, seeing we made hunting jackets for the royal family. We made a lot of production for also at the time for a lot of big brands in the UK. And, uh, you know, John Partridge was really a great, great, great brand. You know, the, mm. and it was all made to, made to last. It was all, you could yeah. see it being made in the factory, everything being cut, and it was wonderful. And I suppose that sort of, that operational side of of retail and, and a brand, that's, that's must have been such a formative experience. And, and, and set you in, in in good stead for what happened later with um with memo so if if you fast forward a little bit um what what, what was the sort of the birth of of memo how did that come about well um having this sort of love of fashion after working after for five years in between london and traveling around the world for for callahan's and john partridge i felt i'd 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 given the locks. I'd worked from 18 till, yeah. till whatever it was, 25. And I left in the world tour. And I said to myself, I'd, I'd visit all the countries I won't visit doing business in my life. So I kind of visited the world and came back and did an MBA in Paris. And this was it. Was this sort of connected to, had you totally sort of left work? This was a kind of your own travels? Or, yeah. I left, I suddenly said, said, I said, said, I said, look, give it up. I need to take a break and think about things. Yeah. And um, so I left, uh, left London and travel around the world. And during my world tour, I s- applied for different MBAs. And I got into an MBA school outside of Paris called ESSEC. And they had a, a specialist MBA specializing in the brand management of luxury goods. It was the first right. one in the world. Wow. This. And it was sponsored by LVMH and the big French groups. And I um, met a wonderful group, dynamic group from all around the world of people, and spent a year there. And then and lo and behold, leaving the MBA, I joined LVMH to run Kenzo Menswear. Oh, did you? And that's where I ended up in Paris. You know, I always said going from going from the farm in Tipperary to the catwalk. It was it was a wonderful adventure. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Having stopped off in London yeah. on the way. So um so you know that and that was I learned so much. I met so many creative people. And I think what has kept me in this industry and in, in fashion and beauty and creative is the creative side. It's meeting the creative people yeah. and seeing how people interpret tomorrow. And that's what gives you a smile. That's what drives me. It's like working with people who can interpret tomorrow and who've got a point of view and then trying to get that point of view out there. And I think that was wonderful. And though there's so informative years working in Paris for five years for yeah. Kenzo, traveling the world and meeting 
partners. And also the time spent in Japan was amazing because obviously being a Japanese origin yeah. brand, I learned so much. And that was such a, a, a different culture to what I've been brought up in Europe. And that was really yeah. a fantastic learning. Did you spend much time there, John? Yeah, I used to go, we had a lot of licenses at the time. The business was very much in that time to licenses. We had a lot of licenses and I used to spend regularly every year. I would have gone twice a year for a week or so. So two weeks a year, so over five years. And it was yeah. really informative time. Oh, I, I bored listeners before. It's, it's Whenever it comes up in the podcast, I'm lucky enough to spend a couple of years uh, post-university working in, in Japan and um, near the city of Nagoya, just teaching English uh, in sort of public high schools. But I just adore the country. And, and you know, I've had a couple of opportunities to, to go back since, but uh, not for a long time, I have to say. But I just, yeah, I just, that, that connection with, with Japan and anybody who sort of references it or spent some time there, it's just, it's so sort of dear to my heart. And, um, I, you know, it, I, I haven't traveled by any means in, in the same way as you have. But what was great about being based there for a couple of years and being in that part of the Far East meant I could, and I was not really going to come back to the UK. I was meeting lots of people who were also, you know, in their early 20s. So we used to just travel around to, you know, other countries. We'd go to the Philippines, Malaysia, Hong Kong, and it was just, yeah, such a great time. And I think probably, I mean, you you experienced it much more within the the, the world of work, but it's, and, and, and this long-winded way of bring, bringing us on to, you know, the idea of travel and, and the journey. But I think we we perhaps share this idea that it's just you know when you when you're based in in one place moving yourself around and getting other perspectives and learning about other cultures and just absorbing it as a visitor and a traveler rather than just someone who's on a holiday I just so you know I, I I thought I knew everything when I came out of university and and then lo and behold you go somewhere else and realize that there's so many different ways of looking at the world and it's quite refreshing sometimes to kind of hit that reset and be the stranger in, you know, the, the, a very unusual experience for a sort of white Western guy to be the kind of, uh, I'm only five foot ten, so to be the tallest person on a tube train in Japan in those days, but also to be the one person that looked different, I think is, it was useful and, um, yeah, and, and, and fostered a love of travel and connection and experiencing with other people. And, uh, you know, no doubt from, from all the things you've said and your, you know, your childhood and, and the fact that you've visited so many countries, it's obviously that's led to the, the the formation of Memo Paris, which is all about the, the the journey and you know postcards from different places and 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 taps into that very real thing that us lovers of of fragrance and beauty understand that that our sense of smell is transportive and and takes us to other places you know and there might be imaginary places there might be places that we've visited before but I guess that that idea of the journey was sort of central to the the DNA of Memo Paris, would you say? I, I, th I think you're really spot on. Um, well, when we, you know, Clara and I, we we kind of got married, or we met each other, and we said to get married, and we thought, what a great idea, you know, to have the freedom in our lives by setting up our own business. So yeah. we really thought that by setting up Memo Paris, we'd have the freedom of choice to live our lives. It's a very romantic idea, I think, when you're getting married. But then you realize you have your own business. <laughs> yeah. It's quite the opposite sometimes, but we <laughs> but, can't but quite complain. a deliberate we, we, thing to do, though. Yeah. Quite a sort of definite thing. Like, you know what? We 
we need to do this thing together and to give us that sort of liberation of exactly. being in control of it. And and it was actually one of our one of our good friends. We were looking for a name. We thought to ourselves, I was in fashion at the time and Clara had her own editing company. And we were looking and we thought, well, look, a fashion brand would be way too difficult to start because I'd started one again without having a, a, a huge backing. We thought, what could we do? And at the time, Clara was looking at the industry and she was saying, my God, there's a, there's a whole population of experts out there and no one knows who they are. And that's when she came up with the idea to write a book about the 22 noses, most prominent noses in the world. Right. And that's really what kind of gave us the idea after, when you meet, I think we're both, what we have in common, we're both driven by, by passionate people. When you meet passionate yeah. people who've got a, a, a wonderful level of expertise in their domain, be it an artist, be it a nose, be it be it in, in any domain, I think it's wonderfully rewarding to be able to listen, to be part of that. And so I think when Clara had met these 22 noses, that really said, look, we should redo something in fragrances. This is magic. This is a magic industry. Mm. And so there we were. You know, I, of course, had experience in brands, experience in, 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 in traveling the world, meeting people, working with department stores. But in fragrances, I, w- I was quite, you know, quite novice. And, and so was Clara. But we went into it and we, as we do, we deep dive into something yeah. and we put a lot of, a lot of thought. And a friend of ours actually we were looking for the name. We were thinking about it. And a friend of ours said, look, memo. And because we were explaining everything about the olfactive memory, because out of your five memories, the five senses, your best memory is your nose, your olfactive memory. Yeah, and absolutely. as he said, we were talking about this and explained the concept we had. And she goes, why don't you call it memo? And that's when it kind of dawned on us, um, the name memo and being in Paris, memo Paris, we're living in Paris at the time. And that's when it all started. And once we had the name memo Paris, your memory, your olfactive memory of the places, capturing the emotions of the places you visit around the world, everything felt so easy and felt so fast and exciting to get it done. Yeah. And then by meeting like genius people like Ali Normasny, the nose we started oh at the beginning, who was also in the book. Legend. This all kind of, everything fed in together. And it's kind of, it was like a train that was moving and all we were doing was going on and, 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 and holding it was going on. faster. And it kind of, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Trying to hold on. <laughs> <laughs> but it's see such a beautiful sort of alchemy between the two of you and your different skill sets. And it's so funny, isn't it? When, you know, when you describe it now and that sort of brief trip through the, you know, your, your sort of work history, but how amazing that it, you know, you met your wife and, and the love of your life, but, but bringing the two things that you have together with your sort of understanding of the operational side, the industry, luxury fashion, and then Clara with, with the sort of creativity and bringing that, that sort of artistry to it, that, um, it's a really nice combination. And the fact that you are both people that I guess are sort of open to working with creative and, and sensorial and, and, and interesting people, then, you know, the, you don't, it, there's a lack of ego about, you know, you, you can't, you can't do everything. So you, you need to bring in experts and, and perfumers and, and the best people to help you realize the, the product. And, and, you know, if people aren't familiar with Memo Paris, and I recommend you, you do, of course, but it's such, there's such artistry and it's, it's such, there's real beauty in, in the work they do. There's a, a beautiful range of fragrances, of course, but what struck me is how the other senses are, are catered for as well. And, um, you know, right from the, the packaging, there's a, the, the, the box has a map that's got all the different memo fragrances on it, that the bottle's beautiful. It comes with a, a hand-drawn postcard and yeah, it's, um, it's a real feast for 
for all the senses. So all the experience that both John and Clara have, have brought to this and uh, this incredible brand that's now been going for about fifteen years, it's um it's a it's a beautiful range. So yeah, I just, that, that, I just love it when when you know fate brings two people together and it, it, it's obviously working really well. And this year, so we, we met at a, at a launch for Sherwood, which is one of your latest fragrances, which I guess, is it one of the first times you've you've focused on England, John? Because there's all been all these amazing, you know, fragrances from different parts of the world. And there's a whole leather range that's got, you know, Africa and Italy and, place, and Ireland and places like that. But is this the first English-based fragrance, John. This is this is this is the first you could say full major launch. We had, uh, we have a English and uh, one English fragrance related to London before. It was an exclusive fragrance we made for for Harvey Nichols in London, which right. is one of our first partners. But Sherwood is the first full launch all around the world, which we've launched um, as in as in a major launch in in in, in nearly sixty countries. And yes, to the, the UK. And I think, again, this comes from, from, from Clara and her actually talking about working with you, you know, with, with Clara. Clara, for me, it's very similar to working with when I was running the fashion team, the creative team. So if anyone out there is, is, is married to an artist or, or has got an artist in the family, um, well, Clara is an artist and, and, and that's mm. what it's like. So that's, I think, we're complementary. I'd worked yep. with artists before in life and then, marrying an artist. Uh, and I think that's where it kind of came together. So I think that's where the complementary part fills in. But Sherwood, Clara's interpretation of Sherwood, yes, Nottingham, Robin Hood, everyone around the world from your childhood stories to, but to try and create a fragrance that can be like this wonderful psychedelic forest um, where it is safe a safe place. Uh, and that was she brought to us. It's like a, it's like a hidden sandalwood and the sandalwood yeah. fragrance. Many of you have heard of sandalwood before, but this is where we've got to, you know, how do you make a twist? How do you bring it out? How do you put your own signature on a sandalwood? And I think that's where Clara brings in this wonderful feminine side as well to taking something as a sandalwood, adding a wonderful Damascan rose. And at the same time, putting a new, a new, very new, exciting ingredient called carrot seed oil and using this and to bring it together, the three main ingredients to make a wonderfully rounded, a comforting sandalwood fragrance. Yeah. And I think it's, 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 that's, that's the sort of, we try to share. And I think where it starts off, really, people often ask us, you know, how do you do it? It's something that really touches us or touches Clara. And it's, it's, it's I think because she's a French poet, her ability to kind of capture her emotions and put them into words. Right. And then by having long standing relationships, those words are turned into ingredients. And, and then it all fits together. Yeah. And I think it's kind of like that. I think we'd be nowhere without the creative people around us. And we've got a very loyal team and who've been working with Clara for, you know, for, for years, 10 years or so. And this is all of this together is really what brings sort of, I think, a handwriting or a signature or you see a common denominator yeah. to what yeah. we do. But obviously in, in Clara, you need that creative director role, that, that person that is sort of the person that conceives of the idea and, and knows when it's, Right, that's, that's really important too, isn't it? You, you know that, that like you say, that the, the sort of the signature, that, so that there's a, a thread throughout the, the line, and someone who's the sort of ultimate arbiter of that creativity is re really important. I, you're so right, and I think if you want to put that in a nutshell, what is that? Is someone 
who knows what they like yeah. and what they don't yeah. like and the ability, no matter what, to say yes and no, which is very hard. I think the hardest thing when you're working with people and brands is to say yes and no, because obviously people have worked hard and when it's no, it's difficult. Yeah. And when it's yes, it's great, but it's, it's yes and no. And that's, and to know what you like and to have a vision of what you like. And I think that's what a brand is. You know, our Memo Paris is not called after us. It's not about us. It's about anyone who shares a vision of curiosity for other places, other people, and which can evoke emotions. And I think that's what Clara keeps at. Does every fragrance evoke emotions? Does every fragrance, can she wear it on her own skin? Does she like it herself? And I think if you keep those sort of values, you could call them family values or or founder values, but I think you, you... your brand builds step by yeah. step because those who like you love you. Yeah, yeah. And you don't want to love you don't want everyone to love you, but those who do love you really love yeah. you. <laughs> Have a sort of core people who are passionate about what you do. And and um, as you describe Sherwood, I, I you know I think it's it's beautiful. And what what I loved about it is, is exactly that it's it's not obvious. And you know one might think of Sherwood Forest and verdancy and you know greenness and and very lush, but and it, it has some of those things, but as, as you said, John, it, there's um, there's some really interesting ingredients that takes it in a much more sort of thoughtful direction with with the sandalwood and that carrot seed, and there's this sort of surprise, sort of butteriness to it. It's um, it's it's so beautiful, and, uh, and so it's it's out everywhere now. And is it has it been um, is it going really well? Is it is it is that a good seller? In we're we're really lucky, you know. Touch wood, because you know, being being a founder and being in a niche fragrance brand, we don't uh, we don't test, we don't market, so we yeah. never know. Yeah. So we launch what we love, and then we kind of pray. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 we we hope that'll work well. But um, we've been very lucky, um, and it's done extremely well. It's right. been really well received, and it's now been launched, and I think in nearly 40 countries, wow. and we've had such positive results. And when you launch a fragrance, it's it's always in our industry, it's always the second bottle because a lot of people buy the first bottle, but then it's the second bottle. So we always know if a fragrance is successful about six months down the line. Right, so they come uh, back for more. It's going to be the biggest hit ever. Exactly, because <laughs> people, you know, some people can buy something, but it's the second bottle. So we really feel so far that it, it, it's been a great success and all the indicators that we have, and it's mainly human indicators from our teams uh, of people around the world who are on the who are, are selling in the department stores uh, or in our own stores and even online is that the feedback has been tremendous and that that's that's what keeps us going. Oh, I'm really thrilled and it's it's richly deserved. It, it's beautiful. So I'm going to put um, some links in the program notes to the Memo Paris website, obviously, and, and some of the products that John refers to. And um, the the final thing on just talking about the the, the creative dynamic between the married couple who are co-founders as it is with Memo Paris. I wonder, do you have the ability to, or do you even do this of sort of switching off altogether from the business? Can you be kind of disciplined of when you're having your family time of saying, look, we're not going to talk Memo, Hermetica and fragrance, or, or does it sort of invariably seep into everything in life? And maybe it's not even a problem. I don't know. How, how do you view that? I just, you know, there's either a politically correct answer or there's the honest answer. I'd like to give you the honest one. Um, yeah, that, please. Uh, you know, we, 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 we try. <laughs> we try. We try to have moments. We look at each other and if either of us is very tired or whatever, we're not going to, you know, go into the worst thing is, is you know, be at night, you know, before you go to bed or something, having a chat yeah. and talking about work <laughs> is the worst thing. Yeah. So we try the certain rules we do as a couple like that. Yeah. Otherwise, it's very fluid because... We've developed over time a Clara comes into the office every Monday 
And so physically presence every Monday, they see the whole creative team and the R&D and the product team, and they present and then they go and then they present everything to her and she gives those yes, no, and gives another drive and some leadership to the team. And then she comes the following Monday. So it's kind of like I'm running the office or running the team on a regular day-to-day basis. And she is the creative direction that comes in and lets the team then work. And I think that that relationship that we have in the office and that relationship we have uh, where we both respect each other's strengths. And at the same time, we both have to give feedback to each other on the parts that we do. So I will talk about a launch that's been successful or with Clara, and she will talk about if she sees something in a department store or something. It's like we, we do, we have to challenge each other. I think that challenge is really healthy, and I don't know how we can not do it. We do try to take sometimes weekends away for the two of us. And the first one of the first times we did that, we came back and we invented a new brand, a perfume brand. <laughs> and the second time we did that, we did another new perfume brand. So so we ended up having three brands there and there was those two weekends we took away for the two of us to go away and, and not to talk about work. We came back with a new brand on a piece of paper. You need to do that more often, John. That's, it's, it, it works. <laughs> Winning formula. <laughs> I love it. Well, look, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about Memo and Hermetica later on for sure. But um, part of the podcast is to talk to a male guest about some of the the key products that they use, some of their sort of bathroom essentials. And again, if people don't know, the, the memo world extends beyond fragrance and, and perfume into bath products and home fragrance and all those things. So, I'm, and as John's already so eloquently described, you know, his the, the, the experience he's had in, in retail and spending all this time in department stores, I have no doubt that John has a sort of interesting bathroom and morning and evening routine himself. So it'd be great just to find out a little bit more about that, John, if that's okay. I mean, in terms of your morning routine, in, in terms of skincare, is that is that something that you you sort of spend a lot of time on or do you have some sort of key products that you love or do you tr- try different things? I, I, because I, I've worked in, 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 in the industry and having worked in fashion, as you said, in cosmetics, you've been seen so much yeah. and you've been tried everything yeah. and by curiosity do it. And also, I, I've had over the years very, very many hair, <laughs> um, different types of wear, wearing, facets of wearing my hair. Yeah. And I had a beard after climbing. I love mountains. After climbing a, a mountain in, in, in Alaska, I came back with a beard, which was a, a good seven inches long. So, nice. so I, I, I've, I've tried out a few different things and I've tried a lot of products, but what can I say? Um, I am one of those, you could say, horrible husbands that always pinches <laughs> his wife's cosmetic when she's not looking. Yeah. So, you know, when she gets up, uh, I have my shower. When she's gone, I steal hers. Uh, no, I've tried many. Um, I'm very lucky to have some some friends who've got other companies. And I've always, um, when I was working, I worked for a while with L'Oreal. Oh, and okay. I was blessed to have all of the products from L'Oreal when I was there. And there's some fantastic brands. Yeah, and and then afterwards, once, once leaving, so for skincare products, uh, and skin, I've, I, I use an electric razor. Okay. I, you know, I grew up watching my father with his, his Gillette and everything yeah. else. So I use an electric razor. So one of these brawn razors that works on a wet, like three, wet and dry. Three headed ones. No, oh. no, it's the two, the double okay. one, the parallel yeah. one. It's nine series from, from brawn. And it's, um, but then you have to, if, I don't know if anyone uses those, you still have to use a normal razor because it just won't do everything yeah. at the end yeah, of the absolutely. day. So we've got to try and get out. And I used quite a lot of beard products over the years because I had a beard for many years. And I used to think a thing called Jack Black. I think it was a brand yep. called Jack Black yeah, it's, Beard Oils. Yeah, it's really good stuff. And, and there's a few others. 
And also traveling a lot to the US, I used to find the US use of a lot of beard products. And there's the art of shaving shops. And you could find many waxes, brushes and things. Mm -hmm. And also once you have a beard, I, I notice in life, people give you a lot of presents of beard <laughs> products do. once they see it. It's an easy one. He's got a beard. Let's get him a beard <laughs> yeah, product. That's so true. So for, for skincare, I think I used to, my, my wife used to use a lot of the products from Sicily, which is a great yes, brand. So is. I used to use a lot of their products. Yeah. And then I think for hair care as well, they brought out a hair range and I've used a, a, a lot of that, their hair products, especially for men, because I'm, I'm thinning a bit in the back. So I've got this kind of thinning thing. So they've, they brought out uh, these products that are meant, meant to help you from thinning. So I don't know if they do, you do, but it feels good. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of products with mint. I like putting mint products in my hair because mm. it's kind of like a, a cooling, soothing effect. But there's a few things that I never leave. My essentials for me, one is, uh, when asked me, it's, it's, it's actually... It's called La Roche-Posay and oh, it's yes. a cicaplast and it's for your lips. Okay. And because I'm traveling in planes, I'm traveling in the mountains and I'm, oh, I do a lot of road biking. And so your lips really get a lot of all weather. So is it like so a, lip, that's a lip balm? Things, the one that's a, sort of, a lip repair. It's oh. like a lip cream. Okay. It's a lip repair cream called cicaplast. And it just is an amazing thing for your lips. If you're in planes, if you're traveling, if you're biking, if you're outside in the mountain, it's like minus five, whatever it is, it's a great sort of oh, protection great. or something. They've got some great um, suntan. I've got some La Roche-Posay yeah. Um, yeah, UV suntan face cream, which is yeah. great. And they're great for sensitive skin yeah. as well, um, which is cool. And then I think really there's a few things, you know, obviously I'm going to say I use all of our own shower gels all the time, but when I'm not using our own of shower course. gels, <laughs> um, I, I use um, uh, Velida uh, and they've got a wonderful Arnica uh, shower gel and it got an, and especially their Arnica massage oil because um, I try to get a bit of sport to keep myself sane. Yeah. And I've always bring with me a small bottle of Velida Arnica massage oil. And it's something when you've got a, a, you know, a calf or a thigh or a shoulder or whatever. So I, that's my kind of must have. And then again, there's another thing. It's actually a machine. It's called a, I don't know, it's called, it's by Therabody, called a Theragun. Right. Have you ever, ever used oh, is that it? that sort of massaging um, thing? It's like a physio, a physio gun. Oh, okay. So it's like having a physiotherapy giving you, so it's called a Theragun and it's got, it's really can be quite forceful at the while, but it really does after going, coming back from a, you know, a 10 mile run or a five mile run or going out and biking, your legs are feeling heavy. It's amazing. And so that's one thing I, I, I learned from a friend of mine, showed me how to use it. And it's been a fantastic thing. Great. And besides that, there's a French hair, hair brand called Leonore Grey, which make wonderful shampoos, okay, I which, I, which I love. And there's another one which makes a, which is great if you're, if you like the relaxing, it's called Christophe Robin, and they've got a like a salt. It's like a it's like um heavy salt. It's like a cream with salt in it, okay. and it's a shampoo. Right, and you massage it into your head, and it's wonderful. So I'm always into sort of like mint or salt or anything that's got sort of a massage or a what I call a therapeutic part to it. And they're really okay. my kind of essentials that I have with me. Great. And there's one other thing I always have with me is I'm, I'm a big person into manicure, into having, I always like to have a manicure set with me. And there's a wonderful, I think, German company, I think it's called Haman, and they make these wonderful in leather cases, manicure sets. And I always love to have one wherever I go, which you can pull out whatever. I'm always annoyed if I've got a nail that's broken. Yeah. It's through my CrossFit, uh, doing, doing CrossFit and biking and then running around to meetings and things. I try to keep, you know, with all, keep your hands together and they're often broken nails and I'm yeah. always looking for a good scissors. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, that's a really good tip. And in terms of fragrance, John, and we, obviously you have the full gamut of your, your own stuff. I mean, what's your relationship with fragrance? Again, is it about trying what the competitors are doing or, or having a sort of fragrance wardrobe of, of your own 
products? How, how do you choose? Like today, what, what did you choose and how do you choose it? Uh, the first question, how do I choose fragrances? Before we had our own brand, I used to love fragrances. I had, yeah. a, I had a collection of fragrances. But since we've got our own three brands today, we've got the opportunity to wear our fragrance, which I always do. Actually, I stopped smelling other brands' fragrances. I think when we started Memo Paris, um, I stopped because it was too right. difficult, yeah. I think, for me to smell others and then to understand. So we tried to smell only our own. That's interesting. And to keep a focus on what we do. Mm. And I think that's been something we try. We tell people in the companies, well, we don't ever want to talk about other people's brands. Mm. We don't ever do anything like that because you spend so much time talking about other people, you don't focus on your own. And we're, we're, you know, we're a small team. We need to focus on what we do. Yeah. So I don't really... Um, I don't wear and don't smell other people's fragrances. Obviously, when someone's wearing them, you can smell them. Yeah. And today I'm wearing a fragrance called French Leather, uh, which yes. is all about Paris. And it's a suede. So it's got the other side of leather. It's a suede. And it's got this lovely water rose molecule that rolls up your nose. And it's got a, a bit of lime juice that gives it a bit of a, uh, like the thorn on a rose. Uh, and so it's, it's, uh, I, I love rose perfumes. Yeah. Um, I think they, they work very well. And I know there's a lot of men out there who say they never wear perfumes and they only wear aftershaves and things. You know, try it out. I really feel that's a lot of different fragrances people are afraid to try. When you wear it on yourself and you like it on yourself, I always believe that other people like it on you. Totally. And one other tip I could give for, for, for people is that I love opening up my, my, my closet, my wardrobe at home and having a great whiff of fragrance. And every time I put on the fragrance in the morning, if I'm wearing a jacket or whatever, I always spray it in the inside of my jacket or inside of my coat. And it just whenever in the daytime you can walk, yeah. it, it's just wonderful. You just got this wonderful fragrance making you smile. And that's why we do fragrances, because we want you to smile. Yeah. Because uh, that's what we work. We work in the beauty industry. And usually wearing a fragrance should be a little way to stop in your day take you out of your, 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 your thoughts and you smell your fragrance and it reminds you of something, it brings back a memory. So if I'm wearing French leather today, you know, living in Paris, my wife, when we first met, you know, smelling French leather, thinking of Paris, it puts a smile on my face. And that's what the beauty industry is about. Yeah. It's about creating a couple of smiles throughout the day to make you feel good. I love it. And, and actually that, that tip around um, putting some fragrance in, in the inside of your jacket or your suit jacket, whatever is, is that's such a great tip. And, and I think it, it, talks to that idea with fragrance that you know it's it's, it's as much about us and and, and that self-care and, and making yourself feel better it does you know obviously people have different views on this but for me fragrance is about me is uh, I'm, I'm sort of less interested of course if someone says oh you know you smell great or what you're wearing i love it of course who doesn't love a compliment but that that idea of, of, of the the kind of the the scent coming back to you and and triggering memories and uh, all those kind of things that's that's exactly that that talks to me entirely that's exactly what it is for me I you know I want it to kind of project back to me rather than out to the world but you know I know people think about that stuff differently no but Adam what you're saying there I think is really where the whole industry you could say is going or where the niche industry is going yeah and what you're saying there is exactly what we try to do because. When you first buy a fragrance, like you first buy anything, you're influenced by fashion. You see something on the media, yeah. whatever it is, and you want to buy what other people are buying because people want to fit to a club. Yeah. As you get older, you more self-confident. You want to buy something you like that fits you. And I think that's who we are today. We're, our customers are curious and they, they want to find new things. They want to try new. And that, I think it's sort of a maturity or, or maybe it's a way of finding something they really like that lasts a long time. And I think that's why... 
there has been a growth of niche fragrance brands going back to the art of fragrance and and and, and doing it as it does a hundred years ago. Mm. That's why it's really moved forward so much is because people do want to wear and appreciate the difference of having a great fragrance. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you t- you talked about we've focused mostly on Memo Paris in in our chat this morning, but there's also Hermetica, which is part of the range, which is is much more about not that Memo Paris isn't, but it, it has a real focus on sustainability and the sort of clean credentials. I wonder, you know, what what made you launch this new brand, and, and what are, what are the differences with, with Hermetica? Hermetica came about in a very strange way. Um, uh, you got, you got kids. I've got, mm. I've got two kids. My daughter, about seven years ago, I, I was actually brushing my teeth in a morning ritual and I'm Irish and I love the sound of fresh running water. So I leave the tap running, the cold water running when I'm brushing my teeth. Yeah. And my daughter came in and she says, Papa, Papa. And I said, what? She said, you've got to turn off the tap. And I said, why? I said, Water is a precious resource. We don't have enough in the world and you're wasting it. Mm. You only need one glass of water to brush your teeth. And this nearly made me fall over. A (laughs) five-year-old daughter in school, they had a project on water, the environment, and she was educating me. Yeah, from the mouth of babes. And it made me think. No, really, Mm. and then it thought, I said to Clara, wow, I spoke about it with my wife and then we were going away from these weekends for two. And we took out a piece of paper and we said, look, if one of our children wants to take over our business, if one of our children, when they're 18, when they're 20, they're going to be proud of our, our company. What would they be proud of us for? Will they be proud that we've broken boundaries, that we've been an innovator, we've changed something major in the industry? And we said to ourselves, let's, we're in a privileged position. We've got a very successful fragrance brand. It's at that time was in 40 countries around the world. Mm. Why don't we try something else? And that's when we kind of took a white piece of paper. We were in Florence for a weekend. And we thought about what would be tomorrow's fragrance. Right. What would be, so we put down all the words that, and that helped us to kind of start on the brand, thinking about it. So that's what it came to. We sort of, it had to be clean. What does clean mean? Clean is a a non-defined word in our industry for meaning a fragrance that has only certain ingredients that are very, very sustainable and and so what we did is we took this, this, we want to have a clean brand or a conscious beauty brand, only use a certain palette of ingredients. We want to have refillable, recyclable, and have the whole brand working in, in a way that it gives something back. So every fragrance we, we, we sell, we plant a tree. And so we came up with the name Hermetica. And Hermetica comes from Hermes Trigemist, who was one of the first Greek alchemists. And he had left when, when he passed away the hermetic tables. And that's where we got the name Hermetica from because we thought about the alchemy of bringing great, great people around the table to make something completely innovative for tomorrow. So right. we said, we've got our knowledge about fragrances. We brought in the, the labs from our fragrance houses that make work with us to work on our concentrates. We sat down and we asked them, how could, where will perfume be in 20 years time? And that's, we kind of thought about it, got around the table, put great minds together, like what alchemy is. And, 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 and then we sort of pioneered to bring out a clean, green, vegan, 
you know, it's got all, it's won prizes now in four different continents for what it has. And it, it's also got a moisturizer and a sunblock in the fragrance, a slight sunblock, 15, and it's got a moisturizer in the fragrance. So it's actually a fragrance that dances on your skin. And it's so wonderful. So it's a new way of wearing fragrances. What I mean a new way wow. in that normally with a fragrance, you have what's called the dry down. You have alcohol that is a very good vector, a powerful vector that brings the head fragrances to your nose and you smell it first. And then you wait to see how the dry down is in your skin, which is a wonderful, wonderful experience. With Hermetica, you smell all the notes at the same time. It's on your skin straight away. You get the complexity of the perfume straight away. There's no dry down because there's no alcohol in the perfume because it's got a moisturizer that feeds in your skin. So your skin feels soft. You've got a long lasting perfume that dances on your skin and working with tomorrow's ingredients. So it just is a wonderful, uh, sustainable, I think, vegan, clean brand. And it's um, it's, it's, it's really, uh, you can say, poke the curiosity of so many people around the world, um, so many countries, so many stores, yeah. and it's won four now international prizes. So we're very lucky again, and I hopefully our children will be proud of this one. <laughs> I'm sure they will. And it's, and it's interesting that, you know, it started five years ago because it, it is absolutely where where the industry is going isn't it being much more mindful and sustainable and and the, the idea of refilling and, and all those things are, are very much sort of watchwords of now and it's you know you, you've had five years head start on some of the brands that are now trying to do some of this stuff and i guess again your your retail and operational experience it sort of blows my mind the idea you know it comes up a lot and a lot of conversations I have with with brands and, and fellow journalists about um, sustainability and, and refilling and things, and it just strikes me as a, quite a, a difficult thing to do to actually, you know, for a start, have a have a bottle that can be unscrewed and, and refilled, but then also have the range of fragrances back in store where you can take it in or send it back and get it refilled. It's you know, it's, it's very easy to say some of those things, but it's not quite as easy in practice is it so i imagine you know that's been to actually deliver on those things is must feel very proud of that and uh, to be at the vanguard of what's going on i think we're really kind of learning all the time you learn a lot from your customers you learn about the 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 opinion leaders who are really au fait with everything and you keep going forward and i think it's something that will be a continuous battle to try and to make sure because where do you stop you know people talk about you know only having natural ingredients but if you want to be really sustainable, you have to use man-made ingredients as well. Because by using yeah, only course, natural ingredients, you can, you can, some things aren't sustainable in those volumes mm. over time. Um, so that's why you've got to use... Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and, and then you're using precious resources of the, the land and using up land to make those... those exactly. And that's, 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 that's why we try to, be, um, to use a lot of green chemistry. What is green chemistry? It's a lot of upcycling. Uh, of materials that may be waste products from other industries yeah. and, and that, and to use the best of both man-made and God-made or nature-made, whichever way you put it, and try to bring them together. Yeah. And then it has to have a moment of truth. And I think that's what's very important is that there's a moment of truth somewhere. doesn't make sense. And that's why we've got to tell the truth. Some people say, Do you know, natural products, why don't you use only natural ingredients? Well, no, if you only use natural ingredients, you maybe can't get the effect you want to have. So man-made is wonderful as well. But I think, you, you know, using those words of truth and honesty is, is great to hear you say that because I think, you know, there is, it can be that idea of, sort of greenwashing and, and people telling you they're doing certain things. And I think that, you know, it's it's refreshing to hear from brands the idea, look, we're we're doing our best, you know, we can't let can't get perfect 
get in the way of being good. So uh, the idea that you know you, you you've got to you've got to make you've just got to move things forward, and there's no good pretending that it's absolutely perfect, but that that you kind of communicate with your consumer and the, the retailers along the way. And so look, this, you know, you're transparent about this is what we're doing. This is how we're trying to do it. We're making strides. We're getting there. No, it's not perfect. But I'd, I'd much rather that as a consumer and a journalist than brands telling you, you know, this is the greenest thing you've ever seen. Because, you know, it's still perfume at the end of the day. It still comes in packaging. It's still freighted around the place and, and all of that stuff. So it's, yeah, I, I, I really like that idea of, just a kind of honest conversation with the the consumer and the public about what you're trying to do, because otherwise, it's um, you. I guess a brand can get themselves in difficulties if they're purporting to do things a certain way and, and it doesn't turn out to be that way. So, yeah, that, that's what we want as a consumer. I think. Finally, John, it, it'd be really good to to talk a little bit more about as the name of the podcast suggests. It's Man in the Mirror. How you feel about what looks back at you in the mirror when when you in your bathroom in the morning or the evening? How, how do you feel about um, what looks back at you these days? Um, that's a really kind of, it's a, it's a tough question and it could be a long question uh, and I haven't got a, 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 I haven't got a sofa <laughs> to lie down on at the moment. <laughs> yeah, tell me about your childhood. <laughs> so I know. so um, yeah. how can I put it to you? I, I think there is a couple of things. I look in the mirror in the morning. Uh, I think from the, the there's, there's, there's one side, which is really the side of, which is probably that you could say the negative side. Am I smiling because I spent enough time with my kids and my wife? Am, am I being mm-hmm. sort of the family person that I want to be? And that's you look in the mirror often, you look at what, what is today? Because you are getting up, you know, we, we get up early, you know, we're rushing. I take one of my kids to school, my wife takes the other kids to school. So, you mm-hmm. know, it's always that rushing in the morning, like everyone else, I think in the morning is going to have, is that quality time? How are you doing well? Are you doing with a smile? Are you doing with your patience? So I think that part is in the morning is because you've got a lot of things in your head. It's really kind of, oh, that's the first thing. Look, am I being the family person that I should be? And then usually the second part is that I've always been someone for meetings or for discussions that I kind of go through things, I go through it in my mind beforehand. So I can be looking in the mirror and going through a conversation that I'm going to be having later on the day. So I'm one of those people that kind of um, always thinking thinking about what's going to happen. So I'm in my own world thinking about what's going to happen. So that's why I say that I've got to be conscious mm. at the moment and live the moment or I, I'm on that other part. So yeah. I think my my looking in the mirror for me is really about, am I, am I there now today? Am I with, am I conscious or am I going with the flow? And am I thinking about something else that's happening later on? Mm. And I think it's that nowness, whatever people call it, the whole words for it now is being now, being there now on the moment. And I think that's, that's for me. Is yeah. yeah. In the flow and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and that's really interesting. And I, I, it resonates a lot with me too. What about the sort of pure, more sort of ego, selfish side of it? Just in terms of appearance, like how how do you feel about your appearance now? Um, um, maybe like compared to a different time, or or just I've I've got a very small mirror. <laughs> I've got a very small my bathroom. <laughs> maybe that's the answer. <laughs> and 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 I've got to I've got to look at I got to look at it in a certain way. So. Um, <laughs> How do I, um, I, I think all of that, uh, it, it's, it's, for me, it's, um, to be honest with you, I haven't, it hasn't yet filled in. Of course, you see, you know, sort of the, the bit of gray and the sides and a bit of, um, 
you know, I can't see the back of my head, which is good. <laughs> um, but otherwise, um, you know, you, 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 I haven't really, it hasn't really hit me that part on the whole um, sort of aging front. It's kind of been gradual along the way. But for me, it's really, when I look in the mirror, it's about mm. how am I feeling? It's, it's, it's kind of looking in the fix of how is my, how is my face? Am I smiling? And that all comes down from my level of fitness. Um, having, having played a lot of sports younger in life, I was always able to get up and to run a, run a good 10K or to go out and do a half marathon. And I've noticed now recently right. that it takes a lot longer to recover and I can't just click my fingers and do what I could do before. Mm -hmm. And that's been probably the hardest thing I think about looking in the mirror is that part is reaching that I cannot recover from uh, a 10K race and the next day get up and feel nothing. You know, I'm going to feel it if I go out and do biking my friends. Yeah. I'm going to feel it. I'm a bit tired. And that's probably the hardest thing for me is accepting that and accepting that if I don't do things properly, I'll get injured. And realizing that you can't get away when I can see my son is 14 who plays 14 and a half and he plays rugby for the local club and he come back and he's battered and bruised and he's happy. And the next day he doesn't feel a thing. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do it again. all again. And I, yeah. and I, there am I, I go out and I go <laughs> for a run with a friend or I go out biking and we do our, our 50, 60 K on the bikes and we, and we come back and the next day I'm God, you know, I'm, I'm feeling it a bit in my legs and I'm feeling it a bit that I've done it. And, and that, I think that's, that's probably when I look in the mirror, I realize that physically I cannot do what I could do before. And certainly physically, I can't recuperate. Yeah. Even though I can do things well, I can't recuperate the same rate. And that's been the hardest thing is that recuperation. And not only from, from, from sports, mm. from travel as well. Because I, I was one of these people before COVID and I traveled 50% of my time and probably COVID probably saved my marriage and saved my, my family life in a certain way, looking back <laughs> on it. And, and I realized as well that I can't do those. I can't do five, six countries in a week and jump in and, and just fly at night and everything else. I can't yeah. do that anymore. That's the only thing I've realized really is, is and that's been quite a hard one because I've always liked to, you know, my time has been travel time. Yeah. And now I've got to realize that my time has got to be sometimes recovering. Well, that's, yeah, I definitely understand what you're saying about the, the recovery and just not being able to do this, the same things with quite the, the sort of frequency or the ease that, that I used to. Last thing, John, is just... I, I like to ask guests, I mean, it, it might sound like a, a superficial question almost, but I wonder what are the things that make you happy and, and bring you joy? I, I kind of got two things. Uh, there's one, maybe it's a bad thing. Maybe it's kind of feeling that I, I'm a good, fam, a good family man in some ways. The feeling of that could bring you joy. And it's not that often because yeah. I'm always actually quite hard on myself because of the time I spend away from the family. Yeah, yeah, I sense that. It seems to be a, th a theme. That, yeah, you sort of worry. I mean, it's, it's but nice it, that you worry. About I don't know. I, 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 I think you know, having being a boarding school child and not having had that time with family, and today knowing what people expect, maybe it's that different generational thing. That's one side that makes me smile when I feel I'm doing something right or something's gone well. And then the other side is really more, more mm -hmm. purely me, which is getting things done and finishing things. It's like I, lo I like climbing mountains which is very egotistical. It's very for right. yourself. It's for no one else. And it's that time getting away. You're just thinking about three things, keeping yourself warm, eating and sleeping, you know, and one step at a time and making sure, you know, you get down okay. And that time of just getting to the top and that feeling that I've done it, even though you're very tired and getting down. So I think it's simple. I've always been a simple goal person and reaching those goals, maybe were the 
competitive generation, having grown up in the, you know, have been born in the 70s. And, and now it's always been about competitions and, you know, triathlons and marathons and getting things done. But it's, is that just finishing? Is that finishing thing, which is a kind of, I think it's a selfish, yeah. um, you know, a selfish um, thing, but it's I, I, that moment there, I really enjoy finishing things. Uh, because I think when you've got your own business yeah. and you've been an entrepreneur for, you know, over 10 years, it, nothing ever ends. <laughs> nothing ever, there's no start and the end. And so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Y- you don't yeah. know how to finish it. And that's why I think I liked working in fashion before as well, because you've got your spring, summer and your autumn, winter collections. You've got yeah. two years in every year and it keeps turning quite quickly. And I think yeah. there's, um. so I think probably selfish goals make me smile. Things I do myself, like biking, triathlons, or or mountain climbing, and then the other thing is that when I feel I've done something right with a family, and those are the two things that 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 kind of, if you ask me, will make me smile. That things, and if by I mean family, of course, I mean my wife as well, because <laughs> it's, it's, of course, it's, yeah. it's yeah. the same thing. So I think that they're the ones that make me smile sometimes when they make you feel happy, you feel wow, I've done something well. And it's interesting. I mean, it, it speaks to some of the things we were talking about earlier. You know, talking about. Um, climbing mountains, but to do things like that, you have to be in the moment and you have to be present and you have to, you know, you can switch off everything else and, and focus on the, the t- task in hand, which I think is, is a great thing. I think, I, you know, I don't know that it's particularly selfish. I think we all need that, those tasks or those pursuits where you can kind of lose yourself in something. And, it, you know, for some people, I guess it might even be reading or listening to music or going to the ballet or whatever it is. But that, that idea of, of just, just being present and being in the moment is, I think we, we all need it. And, uh, with, with your busy schedule and all the things going on, it's, um, yeah, it's good to hear you've, you've, you've got that in your life. Oh, John, thank you so much, um, for sparing some time with me this morning from, from Switzerland. And, um, it's been a real pleasure to find out more about you and to find out a little bit more about your brands and um, the path you've taken to to get where you are. As I said, I'll I'll mention some of the the products that you referred to in the program notes and um, in my posts, and, and let people know where they can find out more about Memo Paris and Hermetica. But enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. It's been really fascinating, and um, hope to connect again with you soon. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Hayden, and I uh, hope you have a great day. And really, thank you very very much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Great. You take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. It's funny listening back to the conversation and realizing that John's, you know, moved from his home country to somewhere else and traveled so much with work and, and the same with Clara. It's absolutely no surprise that Memo Paris is all about travel and the journey. Um, it's absolutely part of his DNA and, and what they're both about and, um, such a gorgeous brand and, and brilliant just to find out a little bit more about Memo Paris and Hermetica and about John himself. Um, yeah, sounds like a nice life there in Switzerland. And um, yeah, he was he was an absolute pleasure to talk to. So thank you to John. If you want to find out more about Memo Paris, you can do on Instagram there at memo.paris. So kind of as it's spelt really, M-E-M-O dot Paris. And you'll find them on Insta. Um, their website where you can shop across the whole range of fragrance products and bath and body and home fragrance and all those things is simply memoparis.com. So memoparis.com for their website. Um, I'd love you to follow me also on Man in the Mirror and I'm at 
Man in the Mirror Pod on Instagram, where you can find out about past guests, future guests, things that I've got coming up, and just other bits and bobs that are going on in the world around fragrance and grooming. So I'd love you to, to take a look there too. Um, I'm going to put some information on the program notes about some of the products that John referred to. So you can find references there if there was a certain product that he was talking about that you're interested in finding out more about. And in the meantime, my thanks to John and my thanks to you for listening. And I'll see you next time on Man in the Mirror. Take care.